I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Will Republicans retake the Senate in 2014? What will happen in the House? What's the latest in 2016 presidential politics? People who want to stay ahead of the curve in politics turn to our good friends at the Cook Political Report for answers. For more than 30 years, Charlie Cook and his team have nailed the nation's most important election outcomes and political trends. CBS News' Bob Schieffer calls the report, quote, the Bible of American politics. Nate Silver says few have, quote, a longer track record of success. If you make it your business to know politics, you need to subscribe to the Cook Political Report. Head over to cookpolitical.com slash political wire. That's cookpolitical.com slash political wire to sign up today. And now to our conversation. You think it's hard to manage your life? Your schedule runs at the mercy of your boss or your clients or spouse or kids. Well, I'm pretty confident your life is smooth sailing, as is mine, compared to today's guest. Michael D. Shear is White House correspondent at The New York Times. In other words, when the most powerful person in the world decides to go to Hawaii or Capitol Hill or Afghanistan or the Washington, D.C. streets to buy a hot dog, you've got to be ready to drop everything and go. The trade-off, of course, is spectacular. A front row seat to history, getting to know the president's personality and, to some extent, his thinking. What's that trade-off like? What does life become when you cover the president, particularly this president? And from the VA scandal to CIA name leaks to Obamacare to midterms, given the front row vantage point, what can we learn about some of the major issues and politics facing the White House today? Michael, thanks as always for joining me. I don't think you had to do the there and back. If I was reading the byline and kind of the notes right, I don't think you had to do the there and back in 18 hours or whatever it was trip to Afghanistan, did you? Mm-hmm. No, I didn't. Thankfully, on this one, I, I did have to do something uh, similar when uh, when the president went to Mandela's funeral in South Africa. I think it was uh, 39 hours total round trip. Um, so we I've done those before, but this one, thankfully, I, I got to miss. You weren't the one who suggested that he take those selfies with the uh, head of state. Where where was she from? Is she Denmark or Norway? Right. You, no, you know the ones I'm I, talking I, about. I. Do indeed. I remember I was in the stadium when it all happened, but it was uh, uh, it was certainly not my suggestion. <laughs> okay, good. that's right. You were the one who was telling him to stop doing that and focus on the uh, focus <laughs> on the service. Yeah, um, it was on the Afghanistan thing. And, and again, I, I looked at you know I looked at uh, the piece, and I think you had a colleague who either must have been there or went went over, yeah. and, and you you know you held down the, the home base. Take me through it. I mean, that was a surprise trip, surprise for most of us. When did you hear about it? When do you get word, um, you know, Michael, President Obama is headed to Afghanistan? Well, you know, it's interesting. That actually was a particularly interesting day for me because I um, happened to be on that Sunday morning uh, uh, what's called the in-town pool reporter for the White House, which means that there's always a a handful of reporters that uh, even on weekends show up uh, at the White House uh, early in the morning and we wait to see whether he's going to do anything that day. And so I, uh, my call time at the White House was 8.30 in the morning. So I got up, I got into my car from my suburban Virginia house, drove in, uh, thinking all the while that the president was uh, in the White House because they, they do not tell us uh, in advance about a trip to a war zone. So uh, little did I know that he had left the night before and was in the air. Um, I get to the White House at 8.30 at about 8. Nine, nine o'clock, maybe 9.15, they announce uh, what's called a lid, 
which means that the president has no activities that day and that we can all go home. So we all piled in our cars and I drove home. And it wasn't until about uh, 10, 15 or 11 uh, that the president landed, uh, 10, 15 or 11 of our time, that the president landed in Afghanistan, at which point the restrictions are lifted and the news reporters who are traveling with the president can actually report it, um, that I even knew that he was gone. So, I mean, is that, I guess they're not, I guess they are misleading you. I mean, how, how do you feel about? It? I mean, how, how does that balance? I mean, they, they're they're misleading you. Obviously, there's nothing's going on right. in the schedule. Well, <laughs> except for that little matter that he's, on, right. you know, Air Force One or whatever, headed to uh, Afghanistan, headed a million miles away. Yeah, right? headed a million. I mean, here's the here's the thing. I mean, you know, on any other in any other context, if if the if the White House misled us that way, we would be you know screaming bloody murder, screaming outrage, and there have been times when. Every now and then when we thought he was in one place and turned out he was someplace else. And, and we do object quite strenuously because obviously the whole the whole system operates on kind of a transparency and a, and a kind of honesty or attempt to be honest, at least at least on the logistics. Um, but <laughs> if, I, if, if nothing else, at least on you know, where people are at any given time. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, in this one instance on, the, on questions of, I mean, you know, the, the, there's sort of been, a, a, I guess, the press corps sort of bought into the idea that um, there are a handful of places that the president uh, that that is so that are so dangerous and war zones are pretty much it um, that um, the the routine is that the that the White House will very 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 quietly notify the handful of reporters that that are going to travel and there's a rotation and there's a system that they pick the ones that go um, but that you know that they very quietly notify those people in advance. Uh, those people are not even supposed to notify their editors. They're not supposed to notify their spouses in theory. I mean, they're literally supposed to be, uh, you know, just arrive at the White House at the cover of darkness the night before, get on the plane. And the, and the understanding is that, um, you know, in exchange for being mis- the rest of us being misled, we at least have a group of independent reporters who um, are, are going to go with him and then are free to report uh, once they once they land, of course, the, the security is that you know, obviously the, the White House doesn't want people armed with you know shoulder you know shoulder missiles yeah, uh, and yeah. things in Afghanistan to be able to know that yeah. surface air missiles that to, to, to know that Air Force One is on its way, right? Like that's the whole idea is once Air Force One is on the ground and the president is off the plane and is secure, then it's safe for uh, you know for that fact to be reported. And and I guess you know that's the sort of deal that we bought into. And and so I want to ask you, you, know, you raised transparency around this administration, around the handling, and I want to ask you about that, because obviously that's been, there have been questions around that and in, in vis-a-vis how he campaigned on transparency and, and so on, and, and, and we'll get into that. But what about a situation, so you just explained, you know, how what you might know, what you might not know in advance of a trip into a war zone. What about, I, I don't know, what was it, a, a week or two ago, all of a sudden, um, I, I guess Obama decided he wanted a, a hot dog from a street vendor. Hmm. Um, I'm being facetious, yeah. of course, but but I mean, he just went out and started visiting with you know uh, uh, people out on the Washington streets. Mm-hmm. Were you at the White House that day? Did you have any heads up? Did the if you weren't at the White House that day, did the reporters get a heads up? How does something like that happen versus you yeah. know going to a war zone? Yeah, that that is more of a standard kind of thing. I wasn't. I, I happened not to be at the White House that day. It wasn't my pool duty. But the the, the thing I described this morning, or, or Sunday morning, of me being there on Sunday morning, if it had been a regular day, that's the kind of thing that 
um, the group of reporters that are always kind of there um, to shadow him would have been, um, uh, you know, would have been there to cover. And so um, they don't get a lot of advance notice. Um, sometimes the photographers will be told ahead of time, hey, get your gear ready because we're going to be going, you know, the press will be going out. They don't often say where that's going to be. Um, and, um, but, you know, maybe 10 minutes ahead of time, people would have been told, hey, you know, gather on the, the, the you know, North Lawn or the wherever, and we're going to, the president's going to go out and do something. And then, frankly, I think it was, the, you know, what he did, which was to, you know, actually walk kind of through the streets of Washington, which is, a, I think, a terrifying concept to the Secret Service. But, like, that was a surprise to everybody. We didn't know that he was going to do that. And I got to tell you, from, a, from an outsider's point of view, the video of it, it was, you know, in my view, everything that they could have hoped for. I mean, he Oh, he my looked, God, of course. It, it was, oh. it, yeah. Right. Beautiful day. He looked pretty cool. He's walking around taking pictures with these tourists. You know, I saw one right. of the shots I saw, you know, buying the food from the street vendor. It's like out of central casting. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, you know, that's the the, the biggest frustration being a White House reporter, frankly, is um, that so much of what we do are, you know, is aiding and abetting a kind of stage managed version of history, right? I mean, because so much of what, uh, because the, the White House has so much power to um, define the, the, you know, the stage on which we, we write. And so, and, and so the imagery that comes, whether it's something like that, walking down the street and being, you know, being looking like Mr. Joe, everyday citizen, or whether it's, you know, state, you know, it's, you know, at the Brandenburg gate delivering a speech or, you know, today's thing at West Point where he's standing in front of the flag with all the, you know, the military, you know, accoutrements around him to give a speech on national security. I mean, all of that is so stage managed. And, you know, so much of being a White House reporter is being taken from place to place by the White House and all of the logistics that that entails and just simply reporting what he does. And, and, and so you're, you're, you're kind of you're a tool of the administration. And so from my way of thinking, everything about what you really want to do as a White House reporter is, you know, yes, you need to convey the news, but you want to break out of that. You want to break out of the idea that you're just a stenographer and instead try to penetrate what's really going on. What are they really thinking? What are the challenges? Who are the people outside of the administration that are raising questions about what they're doing and, and kind of get beyond the, the show. And so kind of literally, how do you do that? I mean, I guess that's, that's being a reporter is what you have to do. But but how do you do that when so much of your job is, you know, requires being in that bubble, being stage managed, being treated, you know, as a, you know, as an accoutrement yeah. to, to, you know, what they're seeing? How do you how do you personally break out of that to the best of your ability? I mean, I think part of it, we're lucky at The New York Times because we have the resources to have four, four of us. So uh, myself and three other uh, people cover the White House full time, and so we have a rotation that, that that gives us a you know just internally here at the at the paper where you know one of us is on duty for a week, uh, and the other three are sort of technically off duty. Now that doesn't mean they don't work, but that means they're not responsible for being on the trips. They're not responsible for going to the briefings and being kind of trapped in that bubble. And what that does is it gives us a little bit more time. Uh, those of us who are not on duty on a given week um, to uh, work our sources outside the White House to troll Capitol Hill for, for, for people that might know things to, to make the phone calls and have the time to go to lunches and 
and, and interviews with people that um, that you just wouldn't have time, as you say, if you're trapped in the bubble. So, so, so three three weeks know. three weeks out of every four, you actually get to be a reporter. Yeah, and, I mean, and, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm being I'm being facetious. No, of no, course. that's I mean, totally but, true. No, no, absolutely. No, that's absolutely t- totally true. And you do, you feel much more like a reporter in those three weeks than you do uh, than you do when you're in in that duty week. I mean, I'll give you an example. Your 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 listeners may not even fully realize. I mean, some of so much of what you do, some of it is glamorous, obviously traveling to Afghanistan or traveling to South Africa or what have you, but. Um, you know, but so much of what you do when you're in that bubble is tedious. I mean, they're, they're, you know, we go with him everywhere. And so if you are in the pool when he decides to go play golf, uh, then, you know, uh, he goes often to, uh, Andrews air force base where they have a, uh, a golf course. Um, and so the pool reporter ends up sitting in the Taco Bell in the <laughs> you know food court of the Andrews air force base golf clubhouse and that's where you sit for five or six hours while the president plays golf I mean, I, it's not and you're you like know, look man I, I don't mind I'll, I'll carry the golf bag i don't mind i'll drive the cart whatever you want just don't make me sit in the taco bell again <laughs> exactly right like it's not like good for our waistlines it's nothing no. else but um you know but but i mean you know he goes out to dinner i've been on you know, many uh, trips where he'll go out to dinner uh, with uh, Valerie Jarrett or he'll go out to dinner with his wife or what have you. And when that happens, you end up sitting in a van, a white van or, you know, for, you know, the three or four hours that he's, that he's in the restaurant. Um, and so, you know, it, it is definitely, there are, there are parts of, of being a White House reporter that are, uh, you know, that are far less than, than what might, you know, what your readers might think or your listeners might think. And, and it's, and it's, um, you know, so it's those times that you, you know, sort of, that's your, that's what you, you do, but, but, you know, what you really, you know, thrive uh, and strive for is the times when you're not doing that. And you can actually, you can actually write about, in my case, I tend to write about domestic policy. So whether it's immigration uh, or Obamacare or gun control or, you know, now the VA handling and all that, that kind of stuff. I mean, those are the real stories that you, that you try to break news on. Yeah, and I want to ask you about those because you have been doing quite a bit of reporting on that, particularly most most recently, including today, the uh, the VA scandal. I know you uh, um, just posted another, just filed another update on that. I want to ask you about yeah. that. I want to ask you about transparency and 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 this administration yeah. and how they're doing on that. But first, I want to share just a couple of words with our audience about our terrific sponsor, Stamps.com. These days, you can get practically everything on demand, like this podcast. Listen whenever you want when it's convenient for you. So tell me something, why are you still going to the post office and dealing with their limited hours when you can get postage on demand with Stamps.com? Anything you can do at the post office, you can now do right from your desk with Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes. So you can get postage whenever you need it 24-7. 24-7. The biggest reason we use Stamps.com at Political Wire is to avoid going to the post office. Gone are the days of waiting in a line for 20 minutes while one harried clerk tries to deal with an increasingly grumpy line of customers. You don't have to do that anymore with Stamps.com. Right now, use our promo code WIRE for this special offer. A no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer that includes a digital scale and up to $55 free postage. Don't wait. 
Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in WIRE, W-I-R-E. That's Stamps.com. Enter WIRE. Michael, President Obama, of course, ran on transparency and openness of government and and obviously holding aside the whole NSA affair, which, of course, is nearly impossible to do, particularly with Greenwald's book having just come out and and all of the discussion, what an important, incredible role, you know, the the discussion of openness in government and spying and transparency and all of that just plays in in society and our lives right now but but just in terms of the 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 view the the, the view of this administration and and how they ran you know it, i i saw there was a recent uh politico ran a thing on on white house correspondence i'm sure you saw mm-hmm. that um and yeah. and and jill abramson you know when then was still with the with your paper with the times and she was quoted by politico as saying the obama administration is quote the most secretive white house that i've ever been involved in covering meanwhile um president obama of course calls this the most transparent administration in history. Who's right? Boy, um, I, you know, I think in some ways, uh, I, I mean, I guess it's not going to surprise your listeners to say I, I tend to agree more with uh, Jill, although I know that that statement has, um, you know, really angered the White House. And, and, and any time you make a statement that is so absolute, I, I think you open yourself a little bit to um, charges. Look, there's ways that that this administration, things that this administration has done that that are more transparent than previous administrations. They have opened up, for example, a database of, uh, of visitors that come to the White House that was never done before. It's not perfect. It doesn't capture everybody, but it's, but it's better than it was. In some ways, they've done some things with lobbying uh, where they, they, you know, make it clear that somebody who's been a recent lobbyist can't actually just join the administration right out of lobbying. And so they've sort of tried to close a little bit of the revolving door. Um, but but look, you know, bottom line, the the same uh, tendencies towards secrecy, towards um, not telling uh, reporters what's going, what's really going on, from holding things back, um, speaking only uh, on background, and really really not wanting to talk on the record. All of those things that were so that had been sort of the hallmarks of. Um, secretive White Houses um, in the past. It's all the same with this administration. There is, there is, it is so frustrating to cover, um, you know, uh, the White House at times because you, 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 you just struggle to get the, even the slightest bit of information uh, out of out of the White House. And, and more often than not, what you get is just a sliver of what's really happening. And, and we every now and then will get a, a glimpse into what's really happening because one of these, uh, you know, White House books will come out and, and, and you'll realize that, oh, you know, that thing that they told me before just, you know, either was a flat out lie or was, you know, so minuscule as to be sort of hardly indicative of what was really going on at the time. And I, and I just, and I think that that's why, you know, somebody like Jill says something like that, because it, it is just so frustrating to feel like, you know, we're trying to do our jobs here and we're not getting a lot from them. Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, the, the, the poll, I guess it was a poll, but the little survey um, showed who was more forth, forthcoming with information, uh, W. Bush or Obama. And the numbers of the, of the anyhow, the, you know, I don't know the sample, and, and it's a small sample yeah, size, yeah, yeah. and it's highly selective because people are choosing whether to, to join in the poll or not. But it, it was 
you know, surprising to me, you know, 41% said that Bush was more forthcoming, 5% Obama, 13% about the same, and 41% not sure. Um, but, but, you know, the kind of, you just look at that 41 to, to five and it's, it's, that's pretty stark to, to the extent that it's accurate yeah. at all. Do you, did you have, I, a, I would, I would, I would hesitate on those numbers. I think, I think there were maybe 50 or 60 people that yeah, were, uh, yeah. that were interviewed. So, I mean, I, I think the numbers are, are sort of meaningless. I, and, and, and personally, like somebody like myself, I, I didn't cover the Bush white house, um, in any way full time. I mean, there were, I, probably went to an event here or there, but I, you know, I have really no way of comparing, um, uh, you know, on a firsthand basis, what, what the two were like. Um, all I can say is that, you know, everything that you hear about the kinds of techniques and tactics that administrations in the past have used to try to obfuscate, uh, to, you know, make less clear the, you know, deliberations that they're going through, um, to, um, to stage manage and manipulate the, both the news itself and also how it's presented. All of those things are hallmarks of what this administration does too. Um, and so I, you know, I, while I, you know, think that they can point to individual things they should get props for on things that they've released versus things that other administrations haven't, I, I do think that the, the general sense of a very, you know, a very secretive place that does not like to uh, be transparent about what they do and how they do it is still very much true about this administration. Michael, let's turn quickly to some of the major issues of the day, particularly the ones that you're covering, um, the, the veterans affairs uh, issues in the hospital and the care that the veterans have mm -hmm. been getting or not getting, the waiting lists. Um, you, you know, you filed a, a report um, today, the new inspector general report, uh, at least 1,700 veterans um, were not registered on the proper waiting list. I mean, th this is this has been out there a little bit, for, you know, for a while. There was the VA news, you know, a, that that broke a, a couple of years ago, and now it's kind of come back, or last year, whenever it was, exact. But but now it's come back, and it's it's kind of worse than ever. Is this, you know, is this getting worse before it gets better for um, the administration? You know, I think it is, um, and I think uh, today's report, which was the initial report by the Inspector General, um, uh, which is the sort of independent investigatory arm of every every agency, every department in Washington has one, and so the the IG uh, issued its preliminary report, and it's pretty damning. I mean, it, it you know it it is written in very sort of bureaucratic language, and it doesn't necessarily jump out at you, but. Um, I mean, it, it really corroborates a lot of the kind of whistleblower reports that we've heard where, you know, instead of, you know, hospitals having waiting times of supposed to be 14 days or 24 days, it's been like more like 115 days, but that it was all covered up because there were, I think this report says there were five different kinds of schemes that the people used to manipulate the wait time so that nobody knew that, that, that people were waiting as long as they were. I mean, it's all very damning and uh, uses words like misconduct and and, and uh, uh, mismanagement. And there's even some, you know, the, the IG report said, like, you know, we heard all sorts of reports about sexual harassment and bullying and inappropriate hiring and all sorts of stuff that they say, you know, we haven't corroborated yet, but is sort of allegations out there. So, I mean, I think it's all terrible. And you saw as one indication of how it's, where it's heading, you saw Senator John McCain, who obviously a Vietnam veteran himself, uh, somebody who's very well respected on these issues, who had been defending Eric Shinseki, the head of the VA, uh, for all these weeks. He finally came out today and said he's got to go. 
And, uh, so and I, it, it definitely looks like the, the pressure, the political pressure is going to get pretty intense here. Yeah, and I don't think, to my knowledge, Obama hasn't done anything with the media since, I mean, he was with Shinseki uh, a couple of times. One, he had the, the impromptu meeting with him. I guess he called him in. Maybe that was about a week ago. Then I think there was some other event yeah. uh, recently where Shinseki, oh, it must have been, yeah, Memorial Day over the over the weekend. Right. I, I think there was something, right. in, and he kind of didn't acknowledge Shinseki. What's your view, what, what sense are you getting from the White House? I mean, from, from, from as an outsider, um, I mean, clearly President Obama has, has, has appeared, and, and it, I can only assume fully that it's, you know, completely heartfelt. I mean, he, he, he's pretty outraged, um, as he should be, yeah. as any of us would be. What, are you getting that sense within the White House? Are they, are, you know, to the extent that you're able to talk about it, are, are they hinting anything? Are they talking about this? How, how, much, how much do you feel like they're focusing on this issue and wanting to make sure to be ahead of it? Um, you know, because you don't well, want to get behind right. on something like this. They're they're trying. I mean, they're trying to do that. I think you know that what, one of the things that sort of hamstrings this administration in these kinds of situations is that is Obama is not the kind of guy who wants to fire people. I mean, he really has has uh, struggled. I mean, the, the only person that you can sort of look at and say that he's really sort of just fired instantly was. Uh, Stanley McChrystal, the general in Afghanistan, who was, um, uh, you know, was quoted yeah. in a news, a news magazine article making all sorts of inappropriate comments, and, and Obama came out a couple of days later and said, "Okay, you're, you're gone." Uh, but except for that, I mean, he really, really hates uh, this idea of, you know, the sort of Washington idea of off with your head. You're, yeah. you know, you take the top guy and and, and send them packing. Um, ask ask Kathleen Sebelius, right? Exactly. Sebelius. I mean, you know, and then there were, and there were calls for him to do that for months and months and months. And she just kind of hung on and hung on. And finally, I mean, I think it took seven or eight months before she finally, you know, uh, resigned. And so I think the real question here, I have no doubt that all of the people around President Obama would, would, you know, the political people anyway, would find it much easier if he would just say, you know, okay, Shinseki is gone. Um, he's unlikely to do that. And even as late as last weekend when I was talking to White House people, um, you know, saying, is this changing at all? Um, you know, they didn't see any sign that he, that Obama was going to force the issue. Now, you know, let's see what happens after today, okay, with McCain uh, switching positions and, and the report coming out. It may, it may be that that changes, but, um, uh, you know, it may be sort of up to Shinseki here for a while, whether he wants to take the Sebelius approach and sort of hang in there. Uh, or whether he decides, look, you know, why, why am I, you know, why am I going to do this? Why, why don't, you know, I've already been here for a long time, number of years. Why do I want to hang out like this? So, uh, so uh, uh, you know, we'll just have to see over the next few days how that plays out. How much politics do you follow? I mean, kind of politics. Do you consider yourself a politics reporter, policy reporter, government reporter, domestic affairs? I mean, mm -hmm. how, how, how do you think of yourself and how much politics do you, do you really follow? I mean, I think, I think, you know, to, uh, you know, I like policy. I'm, I'm interested. That's part of the reason I do the domestic policy side. I'm interested in the substance of all of these issues. Um, I think, though, that what you realize pretty quickly is that um, there's no way in Washington and covering the White House to divorce politics from the policy. Um, and so, so much of what we write about and what we do is in the context of um, the next election cycle, the midterm elections coming up, for example, this year are, are, you know, playing a huge role in, in the kinds of decision-making that the president is uh, going through and, and thus the kinds of stories that we write about. Um, you know, on a personal level, I sort of, 
I, I sort of, in my career in the last, say, five or ten years, have jumped back and forth between, you know, policy-type jobs um, where, uh, like I'm in now, where I'm focused more on governing and um, and then, you know, uh, go, actually going on the campaign, the presidential campaigns that covered both the 08 campaign and the 12 campaign. And um, for me, I like both, you know, I mean, I sort of, there's, there are times when I'll be on the campaign and think, oh man, I'm so sick of the politics of this. And I wish I could just go cover the policy. And then, you know, and then after a while covering the policy, I sort of feel like, you know, it'd be fun to get out on the campaign trail again. So I, I like both. Come on, you, you, you know, you like those, uh, you know, two, three, four hundred page briefing books on policies, the intricacies of, you know, veterans administration and hospital bureaucracy and i mean you you love that stuff you, you well okay know some of it gets pretty dry that's true but but you know but look it's interesting i mean you know that one of the things that you you hit on at the top of the, the show here and that's really true is that you do feel in this job like you get a, a first row your first row view of history and and that history is not just kind of fleeting political back and forth but that it's stuff that matters i mean i was in the white house uh, doing my pool duty on the on the Sunday that the Affordable Care Act was signed into law, or not was signed into law. I guess it was the day that it passed the Senate, which meant that it was gonna it was going to his desk to be signed. Um, and I, it didn't get signed until midnight. I was I was there, you know, in the White House, and there was cheering from behind, you know, from the president and his people. And you sort of felt like, you know, not making a judgment on whether it was good or bad, but just that you knew that this was history, right? This huge, massive piece of legislation that was going to change the way. Americans and, you know, interact with the whole healthcare system. I mean, that, that was, you felt like here was, here was a moment that, you know, must've been like when Medicare passed or Medicaid or, you know, social security, some of the big programs that we sort of take for granted as kind of helping to define the way we live. And so those are the moments that are really fun to be part of. And I guess that's a great place for my, my last question. I mean, you and I've known each other for, for a number of years, Michael, but in, how do you feel? I mean, what's your view of government? I mean, you, you've done this now for you know fifteen, twenty years. Um, you know, are you you know the, the, the naivety surely must be gone. Um, has it made you <laughs> believe? Yeah, I mean, surely. But but you know, as you at some point, I would think you know you get close and you think, oh man, this is awful. You know, I thought that you know I, I had a slightly yeah. you know naive view, and now I see that the blooms off that rose. But then at some level, I think maybe I mean you must have have a, a, a very 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 healthy respect for it, or are you more cynical? I mean, just kind of what's your take on where <laughs> government is yeah. and its role in 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 each of our lives? I mean, I think look, I've been asked this a lot. I think um, what 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 I end up being able to see from the from the vantage point that I have is just the both extremes. Right? I, mean, I have seen um, the kind of the worst of politics and the worst of politicians. People who are who who you know are so obviously in it for the wrong reasons, and 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 the then the parts of the process that just grind to a halt where you look at it and you think, you know, um, you know, I, I think about what I, when I talk to my uh, 14 year old son or my 12 year old daughter about, you know, who are both kind of in that early, you know, middle school kind of learning about government and how it's supposed to work. And it just, and you say, it just doesn't work that way. You know, it's just the money and the, 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 the power plays and all of that. I mean, there, there are parts of what I've seen, which I think are just, awful. Um, but then, you know, the truth is, uh, that I've seen the reverse as well. I've seen, you know, people who are insanely dedicated 
to making this country better. Uh, Democrats and Republicans, you know, people on all sides, but who are like sacrificing, you know, their entire lives, who are who are spending, you know, 18, 20 hours a day, you know, working really hard, um, doing exactly what you would hope somebody does on very little, being paid very little money. Um, and, and they really are trying to do the best they can do. And, and um, you know, so I, I guess I, I come away thinking that it's, um, you know, you know, you hope you have more days when you see the, you know, the good side of it. Um, and that maybe, you know, one of the things that our profession does is to try to help, um, you know, uh, uh, expose those times that government is not working effectively and that, you know, maybe then the American people will choose more of the people who, who do it well, uh, and less of fewer of the people who do it, who do it badly. And that, you know, uh, on the margins, maybe we can make a little difference. Well, uh, you, you certainly make a difference on more than just the margins, and that's an incredibly uh, insightful analysis of the you know good and the bad and the pros and the cons and and uh, all of the competing factors. Michael D. Shear is White House correspondent at the New York Times. Uh, he has uh, been covering the White House now for uh, a couple of years in Washington for many years, and uh, it's uh, always a place to go, and he's always a place to go for uh, clear analysis and uh, strong reporting. Michael, thanks so much for taking the time with me. Great talking to you, Chris. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations.